You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Amen. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I see we have quite a few visitors uh, with us today. We're very glad you're here. Uh, I go by aunt. I get the privilege of serving as pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. If you're a visitor, especially if you're a first time guest, just want to again extend a special welcome to you. We're very excited that you're here. Please stop by. Uh, you should see a sign on, on your way out that just says first time guest. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. So again, if this is your first time, uh, we would love to be able to, to get to know you a little bit more. Very glad that you're here worshiping with us. Uh, we are going through our Warrior Series and we're continuing on. Honestly, it's been going a little bit longer than I intended it uh, to go. I feel like the Lord has more and more for us around this topic. Uh, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles if you want to, to Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, one of the things we've been saying a lot in this sermon series is that God calls us to fight the good fight of faith. That God calls us to fight the good fight of faith. And one of the things we're big on being a Jesus-centered family on mission here. If you haven't been around, that's, that's who we believe God calls his church to be. That's who we want to be. That's what we strive for, being a Jesus-centered family on mission. And honestly, I, I have a heavy heart today. Uh, even before, before we get into the sermon, it's something that I want to do. Uh, there are a lot of people that I specifically know of in our church family uh, that are currently going through a really difficult time. That are currently in, in times and seasons of, of suffering. So even, even if you're not a member of our church family, I want to extend the invitation to you. I'm going to pray for all of us, for anyone in the room that's going through a tough time. If you're going through a time and you want someone to just come be near you, maybe lay a hand on your shoulder uh, so that we can pray for you, I want to invite you to do that. So I want to invite you, if you, if you just want prayer, again, I'm going to pray for, for everyone in our, in our midst today and in our church family that's going through something difficult. Uh, but if you specifically would just say, hey, I, I want someone to pray uh, for me, if you can go ahead and stand to your feet. If you're, a, if you're a member here, let's make sure nobody stands to their feet and doesn't have at least two people around them praying for them. If anyone does, if anyone would stand up. So I'm going to begin praying. And again, um, if anyone stands, let's make sure we get a hand on the shoulder of everyone who, who stands up at this time. So just so we can be family together. When we talk about being family, that's not just a cool thing that we try to say just to, you know, invite people in. That's who we really are. He has made us brothers and sisters as we have been adopted into his family. Um, so I'll pray for, for all of us. And again, if you just want some, some support in this time of prayer, you can go ahead and stand up. If you're a member, let's make sure we get around everybody who is, who is standing. Father, I've been... I've been overwhelmed over the last weeks, the last months of just how much suffering has been going on. in our church family in ways where it's just like, you know, there's nothing we can really do to make everything better. So we want to be here for each other. Would you help us, Father, to be an extension of your love, of your presence, of your grace, of your compassion to those among us who are hurting God? I always say the worst thing, the one thing that's worse than suffering is suffering alone and suffering when you have no one to be there for you or with you, Father, would you make us a church that always comes around those who are suffering in our midst, always has compassion, always hurts with those who are hurting, is always moved to act and extend your love to those who really need it in very difficult times. 
And Father, even above that, even above with anything that, that we can provide, would you provide comfort just through the power of your spirit, just, just by revealing how near you are and how much you love and, and how present you are and, and how much you really, really understand suffering. Father, for all of us who are going through difficult times right now, would you give us a, a special sense, a special understanding of, of your nearness, that we will find comfort in the fact that you're with us, that we would know that we're never truly alone, and that we would know that the one who is our refuge, who is our strong tower, who is walking with us through this suffering, understands what it's like to go through hardship. Will we find comfort in that? That you are the God that stepped down into suffering, that you get it, that you chose to suffer and that one day that you will give us hope and strength in the fact that we know for sure that one day you are coming back and you're going to rid us of all suffering and you're going to rid us of all grief and we'll never cry a tear again. Would you give us hope in that? Would you protect us from the lies that the enemy would tell us that, that we have no reason for hope? that we might as well just give up, that we might as well just throw our hands in the air and not trust in you anymore? Would you, would you prevent us from believing those lies and would you anchor us in the truth that we have hope in you no matter what is going on in this life? Would you comfort us, God? Will you teach us how to care for those who are in need of care and comfort? Would you help us to, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, extend the comfort that you have given to us to others who need to be comforted. Because, God, we need it. We need it, Lord. We need your comfort. We need your peace. We need your strength. We need your perseverance. We need your presence. Continue to remind us how close you are. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 You can grab your seats. Thank you all for... Engaging with that, I didn't think I was gonna cry. Uh, if we talk about being warriors before we get to Ephesians chapter six, part of that is we fight for each other. Yeah. There, there's uh, warriors and soldiers fight together, right? We don't we don't do this as lone rangers. We fight together and we come around each other when we can. Thank you for everybody who who participated in that with us and praying for uh, some of our people. Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll get it started back at verse 10. I'll just read some of the, some of the verses that we read last week you know, as Paul is, is outlining and explaining the armor of God, the whole armor of God as he describes it. And then we'll get into specifically what aspect of that armor we'll be talking about today. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul just gave us the purpose of the armor that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that the enemy schemes against us, that he tells us lies, that he deceives us, that we might not be able to stand against him. He, he, he cannot physically overpower us. He tries to deceive us into giving power over to him. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. 
Again, the enemy, he seeks to scheme against us, to lie to us, to trick us, to deceive us into believing that it's actually better not to follow God as God has called us to, but to submit and yield to sin. He lies to us. He tells us a little bit of sin isn't going to hurt. Just a little bit. You're not going to go too far, but just a little bit will be okay. He tells us that we can't trust God with our lives. How can we trust him when, when God let these things happen? How can we trust God and continue to walk in faith and hope in him? I won't read all the armor that we'll be looking into, all the armor that Paul lists, I should say, between verses 13 and 17. We'll jump back into 17. We read all of those last week. If you weren't here with us last week, we'd love for you to check out uh, the sermon at midtowntunach.com. We'll jump down to verse 17. He says, and take the helmet of salvation. So that's what we talked about last week. And then we'll get to this week's topic right here. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the last piece of armor, if you would. It's very unique compared to the other pieces of armor that Paul lists and that Paul names that we are to take up. It's unique for at least a couple of different ways. Up until this point, everything that Paul has named has been primarily defensive. The breastplate of righteousness, it was defensive. The shield of faith, it's defensive. The helmet of salvation, it's all about protection. It's all about protecting us from attacks. But the, the sword is unique because it's the only offensive weapon that Paul lists. Some would even say, some wouldn't even call it armor, even though Paul does refer to it as armor. When you think of armor, if you think of uh, probably what we understand to be body armor, that's something you put on yourself to defend yourself. But the last thing that he names is the sword of the spirit. Yeah. It's offensive and it's defensive. It's, it's unique. There's, there's something special. Paul is making an exception when he talks about the sword of the spirit being primarily offensive, but it can also be used for defense as well. That's not the only reason that it's unique. It's also unique because of what he connects it to, what he links it to. And many of the other pieces of armor before this is linked to either a virtue or something that we're called to live out. The shield of faith. Right? We're supposed to live out our faith. The helmet of salvation. We're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The breastplate of righteousness, this is something that God has given us and we are to live out. But he doesn't connect the sword with a thing, he connects it with the person. Some of you know him as the Holy Spirit. If you like to look into the Greek, you know that the way Jesus refers to him, some call him the paraclete. Some of you, like me, you grew up in the King James Version of the Holy Bible Church, and you know him as the Holy Ghost. The Bible refers to him as the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, or just simply the spirit. Paul says that we are to take the sword of the spirit. He doesn't link it to a virtue. He links it to the person, the third person of the Trinity, as we often call him. He's saying the word of God is the spirit's sword. That it is the weapon of the Holy Spirit, and we are to take it and wield it as we engage in spiritual Warfare. This, this makes sense in light of what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Peter reads, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that Scriptures are prophecy, that they come directly from God. 
that even though over thousands of years, there were at least 40 authors that worked together to, to, to create these documents, these letters, these different writings, that the Holy Spirit was at work in each of them. Peter says, carrying them along, giving them the words to, to write down, to record, that we might know God. You could say the Holy Spirit is the ghostwriter of the Bible. You get that? Holy Ghost, ghostwriter. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> it is the sword of the Spirit. It's the weapon of choice that the Holy Spirit uses. Now, if we want to know what this weapon then is to use for, this sword of the Spirit, if we want to know what it is used for, we need to know what the Holy Spirit is all about, who he is, what he is doing, how he fights for us. This is very important because Paul connects the word of God and he calls it the sword of the spirit. Okay, so we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is. What does he do? What, what is his mission? What are his goals to be able to understand what the Bible is really intended to be used for? So let's go back to 1 Peter this time, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is Peter. He's going to talk about in verse 2, the Holy Spirit and his work. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I just guessed on those pronunciations, by the way. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification, I'll define that in a second, in the sanctification of the Spirit, of the Spirit for obedience to Christ. The theological term that was just written there is sanctification. To sanctify something is to set it apart for a sacred purpose, to make it holy, to make it clean. Peter is saying that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, that he, he sets us apart, he makes us holy, he changes us, that we might be useful for God's purposes. In the book of 1 Peter, he goes on to say that we are to be holy as God is holy, and the Holy Spirit is his work that does that in us. He makes us holy. He makes us more like our God. He sanctifies us. This is the primary way, as far as I understand the Bible, that the Holy Spirit wages war against the darkness in us, against the evil schemes. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart. He transforms us. He makes us different. Some of you in this room right now could testify of ways that you've been changed that you know is no way other than the Holy Spirit of God coming upon you that has changed you into who you are right now. That there's no other reasonable answer for the reason you're different. Some of you, there are things that you used to could never stop doing and now you don't even have a taste for them anymore because the Holy Spirit has been at work in you. Some of you, you still have a taste for those same things, but now you find strength that you've never had before to be able to say no to the things that you used to not be able to say no to. Because the Holy Spirit, he is real. He is active. He does work. He sanctifies us. This is who he is. The Holy Spirit fights by sanctifying us, and he uses the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, as his weapon of choice. This sword, he, he cuts off the shackles that sin puts on us. He, he cuts off the sinful habits and practices, the sinful ways of thinking, and he uses his sword to do it. I find it to be very telling what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions 
of the heart. He's saying that the word of God, the, the, the sword of the spirit will do surgery on you. That it will cut you open and expose you, not just expose your actions, it'll expose your very intentions, your very motivations, it'll expose your, your thoughts, it'll, it'll hold up this mirror to you and allow you to see yourself, to see where you are following God as you should, and to see where you are not. Author of Hebrews says that the word of God is living, it's active, it is not dormant, that it accomplishes things in us. It's active, it works, it's impactful, it's very powerful. It works powerfully in the lives of believers in ways that we can see and ways that we can't at times. It sets us free from bondage to the enemy. So when we talk about taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, I want to give us three specific things that we can do in order to take the sword of the spirit, to take it up and use it in battle. The first one is preach the word. We must preach the word. Individually, collectively, we must preach the word. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, he's writing his last letter to his closest disciple, one of his best friends in Timothy. And chapter 4 is the last chapter that we have from the apostle Paul. And he's given Timothy this final charge, this, this final instruction on what Timothy is to do, Paul knows that he's about to be beheaded for leading this, this Christian movement. And he's telling Timothy, this is what you are to do while I'm gone. And listen to the weight of this charge that he gives him. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. When I'm about to tell my boys something important, a lot of times I look them in the eye and I just let them know what's at stake with what I'm about to tell them. If I feel like they're not being honest with me, I say, okay, right now you just told me something that was not true. You need to think very hard about what you're about to do next. Because there will be very serious consequences regarding the next words that come out of your mouth. I give this preface to let them know this is a weighty thing that you're about to do in in this conversation that we are about to have. This is what he says to him after this preface in verse 1. Preach the word. Timothy, you want to know what to do while I'm gone? Preach the word. And when is Timothy to preach it? He says, be ready in season and out of season. When the word of God is popular and when it is unpopular. When people love what you're saying and when it seems like everyone hates what you are saying, he says, preach the word. He continues on, rebuke, sorry, reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So in the same passage, Paul gives this charge to Timothy But he also tells Timothy about the sin of many of the people that he will be interacting with. People who say they want the word of God to be preached, but they really just want their itching ears to be scratched. People who say they desire the word of God, but they really just want people to tell them things that make them feel good. He said that that will happen. You continue to preach the word. You be patient. You instruct. You encourage. You rebuke. You continue to preach the word, even though. And he says it goes so far that people will just bring other teachers around and that will say the things that they want them to say. May that not be said among us at Midtown Two Notch. The Greek word that's translated preach here is the word that they would use to describe heralding. 
Heralding is it's what a herald does. A herald is someone who brings news to a group of people. News, something that they need to know, something that they need to, to understand. Paul is saying, herald the word. The thing I appreciate about that term is that it helps me to see that preaching isn't just done in the pulpit. That all believers are actually called to preach because we're all called to carry the good news of Jesus. So the, so the need to preach the word, I hope you don't believe that it's only talking about what we do right here on Sunday mornings. But the need to preach the word is extremely important for all of us as we share him with those who don't know him and as we share him with those that do know him to continue to encourage each other in our faith. I had a conversation with a friend of mine. He was uh, kind of looking at Midtown 2 Notch and another church, and he was considering the two. Uh, and I wasn't trying to pressure him to choose Midtown 2 Notch. I don't believe God's calling everybody to be at Midtown 2 Notch or anything like that. But as he was, was kind of thinking through the differences between our church and another church, uh, he had something that he wasn't seeing very clearly. He, he said, and I feel like this other church values preaching the word more than Midtown 2 Notch does. And I was like, maybe that's something we need to grow in. Help me, help me understand what you're saying. He said, well, they, they have preaching on Sunday morning, they have preaching on Sunday night, they have preaching on Wednesday night, and they do like a midweek lunchtime Bible study thing. He was like, they, they do all that preaching in one week. And it made me realize he had a very limited category for what preaching is because he had been in and around our church and he knew what our life groups were really all about. What I told him was, I believe what you're actually seeing is that they value preaching from the pulpit, from the lead pastor, probably more than we do. But our goal is that in our life groups and every life group meeting, that the word of God is being preached by multiple people to everybody that is in the group every single week. I said, our goal is that we would actually empower every single member of our church to be able to herald and preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the word of God to each other ongoingly throughout the week. I said, I don't know if you have really considered what the word preach in the Bible means, because we tend to correlate it with a sermon. I want you to hear me on this. We believe that the Holy Spirit empowers all believers to herald and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and that he empowers it every time that we do so, whether you're a pastor or not. No matter your vocation in life, no matter your, 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 your age, your socioeconomic status, your, your ethnic heritage, we believe that he works through all. And so that means if you're in here and you're a member of our church and you're in a life group, the, the expectation that we have for you is that you will walk within the power that the Holy Spirit gives you, that you would use the voice that he has given you, the wisdom and insight that he has given you to proclaim the word of God to those who you are in fellowship with within our church. That is our goal and our desire and our prayer for every single one of you. That for you showing up to a life group meeting isn't just about, okay, am I getting what I think I should get from this group? But that you would view it through the lens of, I know that I am to herald the good news of Jesus to those who don't know him and to those who do know him. And this is another opportunity for me to be able to do that. And I want to be able to do it in the most helpful of ways, which means we need to know each other. You can't correct people you don't know. If you don't know where they need to be corrected in superficial and the most deep of ways, we need to know each other. We need to understand each other. And we are to preach the word. Notice I didn't say we are to share Christian cliches that aren't really in the Bible. 
Well, God helps those who help themselves. That ain't in there. That's not in there. I believe sometimes instead of actually carrying and taking the sword of the spirit, we just rely on what other people are saying. We just heard a few things in a, in a church service one time and we just quote those over and over again. And like we are quoting scriptures when what it's actually happening is we've substituted the sword of the spirit for a fake imposter, which are these Christian cliches that we just throw out to each other from time to time. The word, the sword of the spirit, sharper than any two edged sword. It's living, it's active. He uses it to sanctify us, which means if he truly uses it to sanctify us as he says he does, not only do we need to preach the word, but we also need to sit under the preaching of the word. Okay. You need to have the word of God preached and proclaimed to you consistently. I was talking to a brother last week. He's a, he's a member of our church. He's out of town for the summer. And I was just asking him, so, yo, have you gotten plugged in? Have you gotten involved with another church that's up there? And he was like, and I don't know if I've told you this before. Uh, in his terminology, he said, I feel like I'm always one step away from the dark side. He said, I can't miss a Sunday. I don't know what I'll do. He said, I just, I just don't know what happened to me. He said, I can't miss a Sunday. He said, and I ain't missed a Sunday since I've been up here. You ain't got to worry about me missing a Sunday. Now, now. I'm not saying you're supposed to, as we used to say, backslide whenever you miss a Sunday service and you don't come and worship with the saints on a Sunday. But I am saying, I am saying that many of us will be a lot more mature if we took a similar stance. Many of us will be a lot more mature in the faith. Many of us will know the word a lot better. Many of us will know God a lot better if we value the proclaiming of the word of God as this brother does. The Holy Spirit gives us his word, gives us his sword, the word of God. He empowers the preaching of his word. It would be foolish for us to not sit under preaching consistently, especially if you're just not coming because you don't feel like it. That's foolish. You are a follower of Jesus. This is the sword of the spirit, the very weapon that the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify you. It's foolish just not to sit under the preaching of the word of God. For anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, this should be priority, priority to us. We should understand that this is how God breathes life into us through the proclaiming of his word. The enemy, he deceives us it's not, to think it's not that important. When we believe that it reveals our spiritual immaturity. We need to be preached to. We should all be intentional about inviting others, not just from the pulpit, inviting others to come and proclaim the word of God to us. And we should be very intentional about inviting others into our fellowship that they might have the word of God proclaimed and heralded to them as well. So if we're going to take up the sword of the spirit, we need to one, we need to preach the word and we need to two, meditate on the word. Meditate on his word. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, this is talking about, he's describing the attributes of one who is truly blessed, who can truly find joy. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. To meditate on something is to intentionally cause your, to fill your mind with thoughts about something. It's to contemplate on it. It's to, it's to kind of toss it around in your mind, try to look at it from different angles, try to understand it better. To just sit and marinate with something for a while is what it means to meditate. 
To meditate on the word of God is to fill your mind with the, with the truth, the, the concepts, the instructions we see in the word, the encouragements, all the wisdom, the glory, the, the beauty of God that we see in the word to allow our minds to be fixed on those things is to meditate on the word of God. It's to intentionally cause yourself to think long and hard about his word. One of the things that my wife and I like to do we get into these, these like crime these drama shows where you try to figure out who did it, or if you know who did it, you try to figure out how the good guy's gonna catch the bad guys and the whole thing. And for me, now that you can watch, you know, on Netflix or some streaming service about as many episodes as you want uh, at one time, I, sometimes if I get something started, A, it's hard for me to, to, to stop because I really wanna know what happens next. And then if I do stop, it's kinda on my mind until I watch it again. It's like, I, I, I wanna know, but, but was it this? What are they gonna do with this type of thing? That, that's meditation. That's when something sticks with you and it stays in your mind for a period of time. That's what meditation is actually like. We're called to meditate on the word of God. Maybe for you, it's something else. You know, maybe you don't do the, the crime drama shows thing. Maybe, maybe you heard somebody say something one time that you thought was really profound. And it just stuck with you. It just stuck with you. It's like you can't even get it out. It's just back there in your mind. That's what meditation is. That is what the scripture is pointing us to and calling us to do in regards to the word of God, that we would meditate on it day and night, that it would just be stuck in there. That we would meditate on it. We'd be thinking about it. We're going throughout the day. I'm doing something over here. But man, that scripture that I was in, what is that talking about? That's amazing. We're called to meditate day and night on the word of God. Of God. It's when you taste and see how good the word is, you just want to continue to enjoy it in your thought life. We don't necessarily always have to have the Bible open and in front of us to meditate on the word of God. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus has been fasting in the desert. The enemy has come to, to tempt him, to deceive him. He comes at him quoting scriptures. He tells Jesus, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Listen this is powerful and profound how Jesus responds. Verse four, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says, that's what man is to feed on. He literally devalues physical food for the spiritual food, which is the word of God. And some of us like to eat. Can I get an amen from the amen. saints in the house today? He says we should not live by bread alone. But notice, notice the words, he says, but every word that proceeds, that comes out of the mouth of God, every word is what we live on. I'm talking about Old Testament, New Testament. I'm talking about the stories and narratives, the poetry, the songs, the, the wisdom literature, the letters, the epistles, the prophetic books, all of it. He is saying we need all of it, that we feed on every word that comes out of the mouth of God, that we need to, in Genesis, see that he, he's this creator who creates this beautiful home where he provides for his people because he is a loving, powerful, merciful provider. And even when they turn against him, even when they sin, he continues to, A, promise to defeat the enemy that led them into sin, but he also continues to protect them and provide for them even after they sin. And then we need to see the ex in Exodus that when the people of God are enslaved and aren't free to worship him as they desire or as they should do so, he comes in with a mighty arm and frees his people from their bondage that they might worship him. And even when they rebel against him time and time again, he continues to, to, to bless them with his presence in their lives, even though they don't deserve it. 
And then as we see in Numbers and Deuteronomy and on to Joshua, he promised to take them to the promised land. But when they got there, they doubted him. They doubted that, that he would allow them to defeat those giants that they saw over there. And so even though he, that caused them to have to wait generations before they could go in, he still got them into the promised land because we see again in Joshua that he is faithful to his promises. That the promise he made to Abraham way back towards the beginning of Genesis, he fulfills because he is faithful. We need to see this. We need to see in the book of Esther that he uses this, this, this woman who beforehand seemed to be insignificant, but he used her, Esther, to save his people from certain destruction because he is the God that protects his people. We need to see this in the Bible, in the word of God. We need to see in the Psalms that he is our refuge and our strength and our strong tower, that he is the one that we go to to celebrate with in times of great joy, and he is the one that we run to to mourn to in times of great sadness and in times of great pain. We need to see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that he is the God that becomes a man so that he could free man from the problem that man got himself into. We need to see that he not only deals with the problem of the guilt of our sin, but he is more powerful than the death that we all will face and that he will take us to be with him forever, which we see in Revelation when he comes as the mighty warrior king with his war clothes on and defeats the kingdom of darkness and throws it into the lake of fire forever. We need every part of the word of God. We need to see all of it. All of it is nourishment for our souls. All of it is what we need to feed on. We need to Meditate and marinate on the word of God. You need all of it. Gotta ask us, do you make it your business to consume every word that comes from the mouth of God? Do we consume the parts that we like the most and the parts that make us uncomfortable? We push to the side. Do we study to understand and learn God's word? Are we content with not understanding as much as we can? To encourage us, I posted something on Facebook, I think it was about a week or so ago, and I asked the question to Christians, how is your life benefited when you make time to be in God's word? How is your life benefited when you make time to be in God's word? I know for myself, I have a tendency to, I am more encouraged to spend time in the word of God when I hear about how it's blessing other people because it reminds me of what I'm missing out on when I'm not spending time in this word. So I just want to encourage us with some of what was said in response to this Facebook post. Some, some wrote very simple responses like peace during difficult times, less anxious, more patient. It gives me compassion for people and boldness to share truth because I'm more convinced about its power when I read it. One person said, I am and act more like Jesus, period. It brings me peace throughout the day. It helps me interact with people better. My stress level is next to non-existent. I see God more in the little things that I normally wouldn't notice. Things that don't get to me. Things don't get to me in the same way they would when I'm not reading. One person said, peace. When I've spent time with him and his word, there's a settling that happens in my mind and heart. Members, members of the body of Christ, are you walking in maturity by learning to feed yourself on God's word? A huge marker of maturity for a child is the ability to feed yourself. If a child is getting older and is not able to feed themselves, then there's something is awry, something is, is off. And if the child is completely capable to do so and isn't doing so, then we have a massive immaturity problem. We have a serious problem of immaturity. 
If that is the case, I got to ask you, are you relying too heavily on me to feed you the word of God? Are you relying too heavily on someone standing up here on Sunday mornings to feed you the word of God when you can meditate on the word of God on your own? Are you being childish and not feeding yourself and instead relying on someone else? Is the only time you get fed the word of God on Sunday mornings? Is that the only time you're, you're feeding on the word of God? It's not enough. I can't handle that type of pressure. You need more than any person can give you. You need more than any individual, any man, any woman, any preacher can give you. You need to feed, to meditate on the word of God. There is life in these words. It really comes down to when Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It really comes down to, do you believe Jesus is telling the truth or do you think he's a liar? Is he a liar? Or is he telling the truth? Which do you believe? If you believe that truly what we need to feed off of to find life is the word of God, that will reveal itself in the way that you act. And if you do not consistently spend time meditating on the word of God, you believe Jesus is lying to you. And you need to be honest with yourself about your unbelief. That you don't trust Jesus. You think he would tell you something that's not true. The enemy has deceived you into believing that it's not worth your time to meditate on God's word. But I want to encourage us today that gold is always worth digging for. Gold is always worth digging for. Let us not believe the lies of the enemy. So to take the sword of the spirit, we need to one, preach the word. We need to two, meditate on the word. And we need to store the word. We need to store the word in our hearts. Quick side note, Psalm 119 is a psalm that's all about the scriptures, all about the word of God. If you're looking for something to, to start meditating on in light of this sermon, I would recommend Psalm 119. We don't have time to go through it all today. I would recommend personally reading it, paying careful attention to the author's thoughts about the word of God and comparing them and contrasting them with your own and asking the Lord to change your thoughts and, and your perspective on the word of God to those we see in Psalm 119. We'll read Psalm 1911. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That the Hebrew, Hebrew verb there that's translated stored can be translated in a few different ways. Some use the word hidden. Uh, it can mean to protect something, like to hide something that you want to protect. It refers to what someone does with a treasure that they want to keep safe. A treasure that they don't want to be stolen from them. You, they, they would hide it. They would use this, this term that's translated to store up. And the psalm reveals that a lot of the work that the Holy Spirit does through his sword occurs as we store or hide his word in our hearts. When we so immerse ourselves in God's word that it's, it's just with us now, so they, and it will be with us now and later because we have hidden it, we have stored it away in our hearts. It was three or four years ago, and uh, for those of you who, who know a, a bit about my family, you, you may have heard this before. It was about three or four years ago, and my, I was about to take my son Malachi. He has to have several surgeries at, at Boston Children's Hospital, and we were, I was about to take him there, and I remember it was, it was one of the most difficult times of my life. I think my kids were about three years old. I think this was Malachi's 
uh, we'll say 12th surgery, something like that. And he he didn't want to go. But even more so than, than him not wanting to go, wanting him to go. My other his twin brother, my other son, Colby, didn't want me to take him to Boston again. You see, the time before when I had taken him to, to, to Boston, Kobe begged me, don't go, don't leave, don't leave again, because he's tired of seeing me leave him. He feels like I'm rejecting him. He's getting angry. He's like, don't go. And I'm trying to explain to him, no, I, I have to go. Your, your brother, he needs the surgeries that we're taking him to, so I absolutely have to go. Like, I don't have a choice. And so we were there for a week, got him taken care of, came back, and I come home. I'm extremely exhausted. And this is surgery number 11. I'm extremely exhausted. And I go to give Kobe a hug. He's been at, he's been at home the whole time. I've been away for a week. And he yells at me. He says, no, daddy, no. And he runs in the opposite direction down the hallway to his room. Just runs away. Like He's tired of me living, leaving. He's old enough to know that I keep leaving him, but not old enough to understand what's actually going on and why I have to do it. And so, I mean, I'm devastated at this time. I'm trying to process everything. So I run. Uh, so I go to his room and he's like, no, don't come in here. No, 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 no. And I mean, for, literally for I think it was probably five or six months. He did not initiate any type of interaction with me. Any type of interaction that we had was, was, was one that I initiated with him. I, I remember where I was the first time he came to me with a toy in his hand again after that because he, he was just bitter. He didn't want any parts of me. And now here we are just a few months after he starts playing with me again. And I got to take my son to Boston again. And I got to leave him there for a week again. And this is just extremely Extremely difficult time. And I remember Kobe was crying. He was saying, no, daddy, don't go. And I remember his brother Malachi was crying. He didn't want to have surgery. I remember my wife was crying and I was crying and none of us wanted to go. But the thing that blessed me in that time, the thing that I really needed in that time actually started probably six to nine months before when God had started teaching me and really drawing me into scriptures about his presence. He was drawing me in, especially in, in, in the book of Exodus. So after they get freed from slavery to Egypt, God's people, they're in a place they've never been before. He's taken them to the promised land. They've never been to the promised land before. And he's leading them through, uh, at times, through the wilderness. But he blesses them with this cloud that is always in front of them. This cloud is a manifestation of his presence. And at night, it, it lights up with fire. During the day, it's just, it's just this cloud that is over there. It reminds them, hey, I'm with you. I know you're in a place you've never been before, but I'm right here with you. So you can know, just so you know that I'm here and I'm present with you through this difficult time, you're going to see this cloud that's right here. And it leads them. And when it's time for them to move, the cloud moves out in front of them and they just follow wherever that cloud goes. And that's where they go. And God was just revealing to me how much he loves to, to come down to the level of his people. He doesn't love to just sit high and just look at us from a distance. But he was like, no, I'm going to come down to be with you. And then when they set the tabernacle up, literally the cloud rests in the tabernacle that people might experience the very presence of God. And then so they get to the promised land. God leads them there. But then after a while, they get exiled from the promised land because God told them over and over and over again, if you don't worship me, if you run after these false gods, then you will be removed from this land that I promised to your forefathers. And for centuries, they did not follow him. They worshiped false god after false god after false god. And so eventually the Babylonians come in and exile the people of God, take them out of the promised land. And in the middle of this time, we find ourselves in, in, in Isaiah chapter 43. In the middle of this time, as they are being removed from the promised land because of their sin, well, they got to travel through this terrain they've never been through before. They got to cross over rivers to get there. This is what God says to them in Isaiah 43, starting at verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. And then in verse five, he says again, fear not for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. It's the same thing that he comforts Joshua with right before Joshua leads the people of God into the promised land when he takes over from Moses. I can only imagine Joshua is, is terrified with this new responsibility and God tells him, be bold, be very courageous for I am with you. And then you go about 10 verses later and he says it to him again, be bold, be very courageous for I am with you. And I remember being in the car on the way to the airport with my son in the back seat. And I remember crying, wishing my wife was right there in the passenger seat with me. I remember looking at the passenger seat and just being sad and feeling so alone and feeling so defeated and feeling like I was so overcome. And in that moment, God reminded me of the word that he has stored in my heart. And I felt God's presence in that moment like I have never felt it before. I felt a strength and a comfort in God that I had never felt before because he used the word that he had been storing deep in my heart to remind me of who he is. There is a powerful effect of storing the word of God in our hearts. That even when we don't have a Bible open, that when times are difficult, it remains there. What we need from him remains there in our hearts. So we store it away. Because the time is coming when it's going to be extremely difficult. Time is coming where there will be test after test and the enemy will want to use those tests. He will want to scheme against us that we won't be able to stand against him and his attacks. But when the word of God is stored away in our hearts, even when we're, we're not even thinking to, to, to look towards the Bible, the Holy Spirit brings his words back to our remembrance that we might be able to rest in God no matter what comes. I felt this was a timely word given all the difficulty and suffering that's going on in our church. May we intentionally store the word of God, that we will hide it like, like a treasure, that we don't want to escape, that we would meditate on it, that we would think on it, that we would fill our mind with thoughts about the word of God over and over and over again, that we might be able to stand in the times when we are tested. In the times when trials come, we need his word. We need the sword of the spirit. It's a unique part of the armor that Paul tells us about. We need to preach it. We need to meditate on it. And we need to store it up in our hearts. And I can say as a witness that when we do so, it's always worth it. It's always worth it. Let me pray for us. Father, I am grateful for your word. Father, our strength in times when we need strength, in times when we're made aware of how much strength we don't have in and of ourselves, Father, would you make us a people that love the preaching of your word, love to meditate on your word, and love to store up your word in our hearts. Father, would you make that consistent for us? I want to lift up everyone in here today, Father, who struggles to spend time consistently meditating on your word. Would you renew our hunger and our thirst for your word? Will you ignite in us more hunger, more, more thirst, that, that, that in the morning, throughout the day, in the afternoon, at nighttime, that, that your word will be on our minds, that it will be like, like that TV show that we can't get out of our minds, that it will be like that profound thing that we have heard someone say that just gets stuck in there. And Father, that we would continue to enjoy it over and over and over again. 
that you will work powerfully in us to sanctify us through your word. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.